Hi, Rob B here with Rob D. And yes, this is the Property Podcast. This week, we invite two talented, wonderful youngsters onto the show to take us through a subject that is so important, research. It seems these guys really do know what they're talking about. Welcome to the Property Podcast, where every Thursday morning, for a long time now, property investors have come together to be informed and inspired. Today, we have got a timeless episode for you on the topic of how to research a property investment. It's absolutely fundamental. It's at the core of everything you do in property. But still, we see people getting it wrong all the time. So this week, we're going to give you a framework to follow. This week's news story comes from the website thenegotiator.co.uk, and the headline reads, UK Property Market on Hold. It's a really interesting article. It's some depth here, so there's quite a bit to, to mull over, Rob, but most of it is based on comments from Kate Faulkner. Yeah, it is a really good article. It's one of those rare occasions where it's really worth reading the whole thing. So you'll find the link in the show notes for this episode. Well worth having a read. So in this piece, Kate Faulkner, who's a well-known property commentator, is commenting on lots of the same things that we've talked about before, all the different kind of indices and forecasts and all these different things that come out on a regular basis and trying to piece together what it all actually means. What's worth unpacking a little bit is that right in the intro, it says year-on-year demand in the UK has fallen by 19% as buyers hold off on making any decisions in the light of the current political climate. That's definitely true. We've talked about that on episodes in the past about how most people are holding off if they can, not making any decisions unless they need to. And that can create an opportunity for investors. But what I think is interesting is I've had a few conversations over the last couple of weeks, and it becomes clear that in certain parts of the market, there is still really intense competition. The regular investors are still very much buying. I've talked to a few people who are going after your kind of typical investor property. So maybe up to a couple of hundred thousand, maybe it needs a light refurb, maybe it's ready to go. And there's still loads of competition and properties getting snapped up very quickly. In other parts of the market, that's not the case. So trying to sell more expensive residential homes is definitely a lot more tough at the moment, especially in the southeast. And then there's also larger developments or perhaps small blocks of flats where there are really good deals to be done at the moment, perhaps because there's a more limited market for that kind of thing. There aren't so many buyers around in the first place. So if a few of them drop away, it's a little bit more obvious. Or maybe in some cases, it's because you're looking at a project that's going to take a year or more to come to fruition. And people are nervous about committing to that kind of project at the moment. So really, I think these examples illustrate that there is no such thing as the property market. There are lots of different property markets in terms of region and in terms of the type of property and indeed the type of project. And I think that's important to be aware of. Again, read beyond the headline. A headline can tell you something about an average or about the UK as a whole, but you need to learn what it's going to be like where you're investing. What's the market like for that type of property at that type of price in that type of area? Everywhere's going to be different. The only way to find out is to dig in and do the work yourself. So a headline might give you something useful to work with, or it might just lead you in the wrong direction. This week on the podcast, we are jumping in our time machine. And we're going back to an episode way back to 2013. Now, we sound a lot younger and a little rougher around the edges. But We're prepared to embarrass ourselves and bring back this early episode for a good reason, because the subject we covered was research. Now, research is not one of those topics that goes out of date. Yet, for all the years that we've banged on about doing research, 
it seems that not enough people have taken heed of this warning. Research is critical when it comes to property investment. Whether you consider yourself hands-on or hands-off, research is universal. Everyone has to do it. Yet, frustratingly, as much as we banged the drum and told so many people, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people now, that research is important, there are still many people who are forgetting this crucial step. Even if you have listened to this episode before, it's been a few years now, so make sure you absorb the lessons and the approaches we recommend. It's something that we mentioned in a YouTube video that we put up recently about working with property investment companies. And in it, we say, just because you're working with a company doesn't mean that you don't have to do your own research. All it means is it changes the type of research you have to do. You don't have to go and do your own viewings. You might not need to come up with the investment idea in the first place because they put things in front of you. But it doesn't mean you don't have to do anything. You have to research their research because they could be wrong. They could look at the data and come to different conclusions from what you do. Or they could just have a different interpretation from the data than you do. Or they might be looking at a different goal from what you are. You still have to do the research. And it's not just when buying through companies. We still come across people who are buying properties themselves and just not doing the research. They're investing in a particular area because someone else said it was a good place to buy. Um, They've maybe gone and looked at two or three places one Saturday and put in an offer on one. Now, the wonderful thing about property is if you're in it for the long term, it's very forgiving. You might end up being okay. I just can't understand why you would go into an investment where you're putting tens of thousands of pounds of your own money on the line and not really dig in. Use all the tools that are out there, of which there are loads, and make sure that you're comfortable with what you're doing. It makes no sense to me, Rob, but clearly we need to bang that drum a little bit more. And that's why we're replaying this episode. Yep. So you're going to get two benefits from this episode. You're going to get the lesson. And not everyone goes back and listens to our old episodes. And the other thing is, you can enjoy a younger Rob and Rob listening to us when the podcast world was just opening up to us and we were only 30 episodes in. Oh, how we seemed so happy back then, Rob. Okay, so why research? Well, I know it sounds silly, but some people don't. Research is the most important thing you can do when looking at any property investment. It's where you should spend most of your time. It shouldn't be dreaming about your profits. It should be spent on your research because research not only will make you money, it could save you vast amounts of money from massive mistakes. The horror stories in property, sometimes it's people being unlucky, but the majority of times, it's lack of research. And, you know, I think most people who've had a nightmare property situation happen will put their hands up and say, if I did a bit more research, I probably could have avoided that. How do we go about research? Well, there's a few ways of doing it. First off, you can do an initial sort of overview. You look at the property investment and you go, is this worth looking into any further? And then if it is, you move on. And after that, you've got really three levels. You start on the internet, you go to the phone, and then you get your uh, shoes out and you get on the street. So we're going to run through all the processes, lots of things you can look out for to do. First of all, Rob, the quick checklist. This is a time saver. Yeah. So three levels of analysis coming up. But to save yourself going into these 50 odd factors we're going to list out, a few quick things you can do to see if it's worth going any further. So for the purposes of this example, 
we're going to assume that someone has approached you with an investment opportunity, telling you about a potential investment that's in an area that you're not very familiar with. So a lot of the time, this won't happen. You're going to know an area and you'll have targeted that for a specific reason and be looking for investments within that. But so we can cover everything. We're going to assume that someone's just told you about an opportunity in an area you don't know that well. So here's a quick checklist. Firstly, is the area in or close to a major town or city? I'm sure you can invest in rural property, but I don't personally know anyone who does it and I wouldn't want to because you want to have the rental demand and the rental demand is clustered around things that are found in major towns or cities. So that's check number one. Next one is, does the property look like a good deal? Is it below market value if that's what you're looking for or, is it, or does it in some way meet the whatever criteria you've set out? based on a, a rough kind of numerical overview of the kind of thing you're looking for without wasting lots of time digging right in straight away. The third factor is getting on Google Street View. Google Street View covers the vast majority of the UK and getting on there could save you a lot of time because, okay, the numbers might look okay, but if you look on Street View and it's next door to an abattoir or something, however good the numbers are, think about the trouble you're going to have letting that out. If you don't have the stomach to do millions of viewings and have everyone put off by it, it's just going to be too much work for you. So you can figure that out on Street View before you go any further at all. And lastly, think about your gut instinct. We've talked about this before. There's something to gut instinct. Whatever it is, whether it's your subconscious kind of telling you something, if something feels wrong, either just when you're having a look at the deal or in the way it's been presented to you or the person who's presenting it, whatever it is, if something feels wrong, it's worth paying attention to. So that's your quick checklist. If you get through that and there doesn't seem to be anything glaringly wrong, then you move on to the first of the three levels of research, which is getting onto the internet. Yeah, the internet. And actually, true story, Rob, the Google Street View, that saved me massive amounts of time once. I got the numbers of an investment. It looked absolutely fantastic. You could say almost too good to be true. And, you know, I'm used to seeing good deals. And I looked at the numbers. Yeah, major town and city. Yeah, it was um, a commuter town. Jumped on Google Street View next to a massive tire shop. And it was more of a yard than a shop. That could be a quick maneuver to save you a lot of time. Okay, so if everything's looking good, we move on to the internet. One of the first things you can do is jump on Rightmove or Zoopla and have a look at the current asking prices for the area, the current purchase prices. So if you've been offered a property and it's at 80000 for a two-bed house, what are other two-bed houses in similar condition going for? You know, it starts to give you an idea and... Like all these points, it's not going to tell you if it's a good investment, that one point on its own, but it's about building a bigger picture. And that certainly can help you start that. Next is look on for the rental asking prices. Now, bear in mind these are asking prices, so it doesn't necessarily mean what they're going to go for. This is just a guide. You know, it's about that bigger picture. Have a look at the asking prices for property in the local area. Now, when you're doing that right move search, make sure you're searching close by and like for like. A property three miles away is not going to be a comparable. Or if your property is a bit run down, comparing it to a property that is brand new is not a like-for-like like either unless you're going to spend money doing it up. Just make sure it's very close by. Start with a quarter of a mile radius and then move out to half mile if needed and make sure it's like-for-like. Like. When on Rightmove, another search you can do is there's a little button you can click which says Sold Subject to Contract or STC. If you click on that button, you can see what properties have been renting for, get an idea what prices they've gone for, and also what properties have sold for as well. So sold subject to the contract, have a look at that, click the button. It's on the search bar, so just have a look next time you're there, you'll see it, and that too is worth doing. Next up, check the land registry. 
So, yes, it's good to see what the asking prices are, but even better is seeing what the prices have gone for. So you want to see properties that have recently sold in that area. If there are some, then great. If there are not, why not? Is this area quite rural? Is the market not fluid? You know, why aren't there comparables in and around this area? That might be a warning sign to you. So look at the land registry, look at what properties similar to yours are going for. And if it stacks up, continue on your search. Okay, next up, have a look for any investment that's planned for the local area. Reason why, this could boost rental and property prices. It's really easy to do. Just jump on Google, and if it's Manchester, type Manchester investment. And then if you're you know, a suburb of Manchester, then you might research that suburb as well. You'd be surprised how much is out there. You know, Google is a powerful tool. And it doesn't take a lot of digging to see if there is any investment out there. If there is, it'll be documented on Google. It may have just finished or it may be coming up, but it's always worth looking for because that could be another tick in the box for you. Next, what are the local unemployment levels? Are they higher or lower than average? We'll link to some of the resources you can use in the show notes. So don't worry if you're thinking, where can I find this information? Go to thepropertypodcast.com, go to episode 31, all the links will be there. But there's a link there for searching employment levels in the area, what the average is and where your area sits. Is it above average or below average? Again, if it's lower than average, then that might be an area of concern for you. What is the area's credit rating? Again, this can give you a guide to the type of area you're looking at. There's a great website, again, we'll pop it in the show notes, that you can type in the postcode and it'll tell you the local credit rating from 1 to 999. It'll tell you what the average is, which I think is 700 and something. And it'll tell you exactly where your area sits, you know, above or below it. Again, not one piece of information that can make a decision, but as part of building up a bigger picture, it's really useful. What are the local transport links like? Where's the nearest train station? It might be great if that town or city has a good train station with great links, but if you're three miles away from it, then it's not quite as good. So how far away from you are are you from those train stations? And not quite as good, but always important to look for is bus stops. Can the people renting your property get a bus nearby? Or is it a massive walkaway? Or are they infrequent? You know, is it semi-rural where you are and there's only three buses a day? Where I live, the buses come, you know, <laughs> when they feel like it. It's not very often at all. So, you know, where I live is not a good area for investments. And then other things you can look at, local hospitals. Well, why? Great source for tenants and very similar to that, universities as well. Because you may not want to lend to students, but those students often stay on in those cities and become young professionals. And there's plenty of people who work in the universities as well. Again, having a university or a few universities in the city is no bad thing. And in my opinion, can only be considered a good thing. Okay, well, let's keep on with looking at more fundamentals and more things that tenants are going to care about and going to make the property easy to let. First of all, big one, primary and secondary schools. We've talked about this before. Schools are really important to families. And if you get tenants who've got kids in a local school, they're very likely to stay for a good few years. And that's what you want. You want good long-term tenants, which are going to minimise your voids. So schools are really important. Also, more kind of seemingly mundane things, like how far is it to the local convenience store? If you're going to have to walk 15 minutes to get a pint of milk, that's going to get annoying. Little things like that tenants are going to care about. And then bigger than that, 
the local supermarket. Is there a supermarket nearby? If it's walkable and you can walk home with your bags, then fantastic. If not, then is it on one of the transport routes that we talked about earlier? Because not everyone's as efficient as you, Rob. They don't do, you know, weekly scheduled online shops. So I know you're uh, very systemized when it comes to these things and very impressively so, I might add. But some people do like to walk to the supermarket still. It's true. I mean, they are wrong to do so. They're wasting (laughs) lots of their time. But until everyone listens to me, this is still an important factor. Now, one more that's up my street. How far is your nearest international airport? Now you're talking. (laughs) When I was in Norwich, I was um, being shown some properties that were, you could literally walk five minutes to the airport and fly off to Europe and get connections from Amsterdam. Amazing. I'm sure there'll be flight path issues to think about and things like that. You want to think, have a think about noise if you're right next to an airport. But, you know, that's still a big tick in the box if that particular transport link is there. And then if the property is not actually in a major town or city, then how close is the nearest one? If you're looking at commutes, what's the travel time to that nearest town or city where those jobs and the major shops are going to be? Google Maps is actually great for this. They're adding new transport links all the time. So if you put in like name of suburb to name of major city, then there's a good chance that in parts of the UK, it'll be able to pull up all the transport links for you already and tell you the public transport routes. If not, you'll be able to figure it out for yourself pretty easily. So combine that with how far the property is from the station or the bus stop or whatever to figure out how commutable it's going to be. That is a lot of the factors to do with the area. Then moving on to the property itself. What size is the property you're looking at? How does it compare to others in the market? How big are the bedrooms? How many receptions? Things like that. Parking, another really big one in most parts of the UK. Is there off-road parking? Is there on-road parking? If there's no parking and there are double yellow lines outside, that is going to be a real bugbear for people. And you might find it less lettable than a very similar property, a street away, where they can park right outside or on a driveway. Then getting into the real nitty-gritty, is the property freehold or leasehold? This should be listed on right move. If not, you should be able to hold. The whole um, thing about flats are leasehold and houses are freehold, not always true. I was reading a story the other day about someone who discovered that their house was leasehold and they had no idea until they were just about to exchange on it. If it is leasehold, how much is the ground rent and how much is the service charge? These are things that agents are really bad at knowing typically. You might have to do a bit of digging and find that out for yourself. When you get to know an area, you'll kind of get ideas and you'll be able to estimate things like that. But before you go too far, you'll want to find out those numbers and plug them into your calculations. Also, will you need to spend money on the property to get it into a lessable condition? And when was it last renovated? When were the electrics and the heating done and things like that? As we're sort of still on the internet at this point, you're not going to be able to know all of this necessarily, but you can tell a heck of a lot from a photo. So you can see if it looks tired and it's all 70s decor, maybe the electrics haven't been done since then and it's going to need a rewire. Or you can tell that it's been brand new and refurbished. All it's going to need is a bit of furniture or something. You can tell quite a lot from photos. Also, going outside the garden. Are your tenants going to be willing to look after a large garden or is there no garden at all? And that's going to put off families who want somewhere for the kids to play. That's a factor as well. And then can you add value to the property if that's something that's part of your strategy? You can take a look at the floor plans often and look at Street View and kind of figure out if there might be scope for an extension or some other way of adding value so you can force that capital appreciation. 
And then, Rob, properties that are new build, I'd like to get your opinion on because there are certain certificates that you can ask for as well. What you really want is NHBC certificates, which actually has the majority of the market share. I actually met Neil recently. Hello, Neil. Um, he works for the NHBC. He came in to see me at RMP. So <laughs> side note there. Sorry, Rob. And he was telling me some interesting things about the NHBC, how things are growing there and real sign of the property market. But NHBC is the big one. Um, NHBC will guarantee the build quality of a development for up to 10 years. The first two years is covered by the developer and remaining eight is by the insurance the NHBC um, supply. The reason why it's really good is they go in and inspect the properties because if they're going to put you know, a guarantee on it for 10 years, they go in and inspect them and say, okay, Let's have a look at this, you know, house electrics, you know, water, you know, build quality, et cetera, et cetera. And then they'll sign it off. So I used to work for a developer as well. That's how I started in property. And we used to have the LHBC inspectors come around. And then, of course, there are equivalents as well. You know, there are others out there who will offer a guarantee. Companies like Zurich, I think Premier as well. But NHBC is the big one that most people know. Okay. So... That's a whole lot of factors that you can find out the answers to just by being on the internet. Don't have to talk to anyone or anything. But having satisfied yourself with all of those you want to, what's the next step? Okay, so next level up, it's all looking good. Move to the phone. And really, most of the conversations are going to be with a letting agent and an estate agent. So the type of things you want to be doing. Well, first of all, mystery shop your local letting agent. One we've said before, and probably one letting agent's haters telling you to do. But ring them up and see, first of all, ring them up, mystery shop them as a potential tenant. So if you're looking at a two-bed house, ring up saying you're looking at a two-bed house. First of all, how do they treat you? Are they on the ball? Are they friendly? Are they you know, keen to get you in to show you the property, all the type of things you would want if they were speaking to potential tenants? And secondly, what are they saying? What level, price level are they telling you? Are they telling you maybe 500 a month? And then bring up as an investor, as a landlord, and say, okay, I've got a two-bed house. I'm looking to put it on the market, or I'm about to have a two-bed house looking to put it on the market. What do you think the market's doing at the moment? And you know, what do you think I will get for the property? They might say, oh, yeah, it's uh, really buoyant at the moment, which you would expect them to. And you can get 550 And the reason why you might get two different numbers is they're probably going to try and manage the expectations up of the tenant and manage the expectations down of the landlord. So the true number might be somewhere in the middle around 525. You know, you might get a letting agent who just tells you straight and tells you it's 525, but it's always worth doing and always worth calling more than one. Ask them if the property is not let, how long do they think it's taking? You know, what's the market doing at the moment? How quick do they think a turnaround will take? And say to them, if they give you that 550 number, say, okay, that's great. That might be top rent. But if I want this let in two weeks, what would I need to put it on for? It's a question they probably wouldn't get asked that often, but it really makes them think. And you often get an honest answer then because they realize that what your motivation is, it's not to get the maximum, maximum rent. It's to get a tenant in quickly, which actually is more important. Think about it. If it takes you two months to get a tenant in at 550 or two weeks at 525, run the numbers. It's clearly better to get a tenant in two weeks at 525 because you've had six weeks with no rent. It's better to get someone in quickly at a reasonable fair rent than waiting out for a top, top rent. So say to them, you know, if I wanted this let in two weeks or seven days even, what price do I need to get it on for to get it let? So always a good question to ask. Now, if the property's already let, this one for the estate agents, you know, you, if you're buying it from a estate agent, I know there's property companies and other things you can do, ask them how long they've lived there. And are they good payers? You know, are, are they up to date with the payments? They might not be. And, you know, the estate agent or the property investment company might not tell you because that might look the investment look less desirable. So ask the question, make sure you know the answer, don't just assume. 
If it's not let, ask the letting agents what type of tenants they expect to be renting to. You may see it as professionals, but they may see it as students. Don't just assume. Get an expert's opinion. And then ask them, will you need to get the property furnished to get it let? Always try to go unfurnished. But if that market dictates that furnished property is required, then go down that route. And if it does, add that cost to your cash flow. So that's a list of things you can start to ask when you get on the phone. And asking those questions will give you, based on all the internet research you've done, will give you a far better idea. But finally is the visit. So, you know, you can do all the internet research and do all the phone. But finally, you know, either have someone visit it for you, which I do. I have someone in my team visit it for you. Or if it's one of my clients, we visit it for them. Or you may want to visit yourself as well. But there are things to do when you get there, Rob. Yeah. So the visit is non-negotiable, really. If you can't make it, if you're abroad or something, then if you've got someone, as Rob says, that you completely trust and who understands exactly what you're looking for, maybe that can take your place. But if possible, always best to be there and actually walk the streets around the property in question. The key thing here is to be walking around, putting yourself in the headspace of a potential tenant. As you're walking around, try actually walking the route to the nearest train station. You might not have realised that it's up a really gigantic hill and that's going to put off certain types of tenant, maybe people with young kids. Walk that route and see what it's like. If you do it at night, is it scary? Actually walk the route and see. And just as as you walk around the streets at different times of day or night, you'll pick up things that no amount of research will ever be able to tell you just from doing desktop research. You'll really get a vibe about the kind of people who live there, about what the local economy is doing. You'll pick up on all these little signs, see what shops are there, see what shops are vacant, see what seems to be flourishing, and just kind of walk around as if you're a tenant and just think, how would this be if I lived here? And then, of course, there's visiting the property itself because... Agents aren't allowed to make property photos on Rightmove or wherever misleading, but you still can't properly get to know what a property is like without visiting yourself. You won't be able to tell whether a bedroom necessarily feels pokey or spacious or whatever. Visit that property, see what it feels like, see what what the layout's like, and have a really good poke around and see if there's anything that you can uncover that you should be worried about. Like Rob said, you don't have to be doing that yourself. You can have someone you trust to do that as long as you discuss beforehand exactly what it is that you're looking for. So that is the final part. It's a non-negotiable part, but a lot of the job you've been able to do before you have to do that far. So hopefully you're only going out on visits to things that are pretty hot prospects already based on everything you've done so far. If you've done everything right before, this shouldn't be time wasted. This should be validating everything you've said. One to add in there, if the property's already let and you can't get in, you have to trust the person you're getting this from. So if you're getting this from a, an estate agent you have zero relationship with and you can't get in because the property's let, it's a warning sign. It's one just to, to be wary of. It's easier if it's a new build because then really, unless the tenant's gone absolutely crazy and trust the place, then you know you can see a new build will still be a new build you know, or nearly new. But if it's an older property and it's tenanted, then you really do need to get in and try and see it. And if they tell you you can't and you have no relationship with the person you're dealing with, then nine times out of 10, you're probably going to be walking away unless you can put into your cash flow that it may need a lot of work on the property. Don't assume that it's going to be ready to let straight away. Okay, so to wrap it up then, as we said at the start, research, 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 rather than location, location, location. You're looking at the location, but you're also looking at a lot of other things as well. We've just listed nigh on 50 things that you can look at. 
the majority of which you don't have to even leave your desk to do. And so you shouldn't be wasting any time by the time you actually go out to take a look. But of course, we've listed about 50 things. Are you going to be able to put a tick into every single box? Realistically, probably not. You're not going to find that amazing property that is in the perfect location. It's the perfect layout. It's got everything you're looking for. There is no perfect investment. You've got to take action. You've got to actually buy something if you want to be a property investor rather than sitting there waiting for the absolute ideal thing to come along. But you'll kind of come to your own decisions about which of these factors you think are most important and put different weights on different factors. You're not going to find a property that's next door to a university and a hospital and a school. And there are no factories within miles. Oh, and a station, of course. It's just not going to happen. So you're going to be thinking about the type of tenant that you want to attract and kind of putting weight on different factors depending on that. Don't wait for something to be absolutely perfect. But if you've at least kind of gone down the checklist and considered all these things, you won't find at the end that there's some kind of real howler that you've made that something that looks great on paper is actually going to be a nightmare for you in years to come because of something you forgot. Well, we might have aged a bit, but the information really hasn't. The need to do your research doesn't change. and Everything that we talked through in this episode still absolutely applies. Having that initial first filter doing your online research, getting on the phone and speaking to people in that area. And ultimately, unless you're outsourcing this part of the process, visiting in person and seeing what's really going on. So, so important. So make sure you are doing your research. Don't make us drag this episode out again in another few years time. So that's us done for this week. We will, of course, be back with the Property Podcast next Thursday, where we're going to be joined by a very special guest. So you will not want to miss that one. But before then, we'll see you for Ask Rob and Rob back here on Tuesday. Until then, have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.